I consider myself, I would say, a pretty good husband. I mean, I know that I'm not perfect. However, I feel like I'm pretty good. I mean, Jackie stuck with me for, what, 28 years? So I feel like, okay, I got a little street cred. And I understand that in the marriage situation, some of you aren't married yet, so this will be just a bonus for you. You'll, you'll learn that this is something that, that you'll have to adjust to. But when you get married, there are jobs that are kind of just supposed to be like the guy jobs. Uh, or, and some jobs that are like the ladies' jobs. Now, I don't know where these rules came from. And, you know, not every couple's exactly the same. I get that. But there were jobs that are considered like blue jobs, right? So the, the guy does those, the husband does those. And, and those are like, you know, you handle the car. Okay, I handle the car stuff. Who, who gets the oil changes? It ain't Jackie, okay? Uh, the, the, the landscaping, okay, the, the mowing the, the lawn, that is under my, so everything outside is under my jurisdiction, I guess. And, uh, you know, things, things like that, making sure that the garbage cans are rolled out, you know, that fun little job that you forget when you hear the truck coming up, it's like 6 a.m. and you're running outside. You guys have never done that, but I've done that. And so those are the guy jobs, and Jackie, you know, she does these the, the lady jobs are like the, I guess, the pink jobs, if you will. I know that's kind of a weird thing to do colors that way. But that is, she does, you know, she does a great job cooking and that sort of thing. And I feel like I, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty domesticated. I feel like I are a good husband. And now I'll sometimes, I'll even go the extra mile and light a candle in the bathroom. So, you know, that just shows you great love right there. But I realize that there are times when I do these nice things, but my heart isn't necessarily in it. You know what I mean? You ever done that? Where you do the right thing on the outside, but like inside, you're kind of grumbly, grumbly. Like you didn't really want to do it. There are moments where I think Jackie can't tell that I really didn't want to do that thing. Now, there's, there's times when really important stuff is going on. And I can't be interrupted or bothered by the job that I need to do. I don't need to do the dishes when there's an important sporting event on or anything else that I want to do. You see where I'm at? So sometimes my internal doesn't match my external. Sometimes my attitude doesn't often resonate. And I know some of you probably like that. Well, maybe you've done the right thing. You've served someone, but maybe your heart wasn't totally in it. And some of you have perfected the art of the passive-aggressive thing, where you'll kind of stomp around, all that, like we don't know what's going on in here. Some of you kids know that because you just did that to your parents this week. You're supposed to do something. You said, yeah, I'll do it, and then you stomp off. We have a tough time sometimes matching our internal with our, with our external. And Sometimes we, we are pretty good about living by the letter of the law, but not the spirit of the law. You know, we've, done, we've checked the right boxes, but internally we're not very cheerful about it. We're not very happy about it. And that's true not just in marriage, it's true in work, it's true in sibling rivalries, all of that. Sometimes the internal doesn't match, match the external. There was a time where Jesus was addressing some religious people. This is Mark chapter 7. If you've got a Bible handy, you can turn there if you want. Or sometime this week you can read the interaction that happens in Mark chapter 7. But he's talking to religious people, and he's like, you people, you, you, you're, you're weird. You, you do all the checkbox stuff on your religion, but you neglect the important things. And in that case, they were doing all the proper tithes to the temple, but like their parents needed help, but well, I can't help my parents because I'm honoring God. 
And Jesus is like, what is wrong with you? Like, the, you, you, both are important here. You're, you're doing these checkbox things, the letter of the law, but you're like, your hearts are in the wrong spot. And, and look, you, you're doing the, the right you know, stuff up here, but you're neglecting the important things like mercy and grace and taking care of your family. Those are more important. And sometimes we do that, right? Sometimes we get the wrong priorities and all for the sake of checking that box. And our hearts are not in the right spot. Well, we're going to be talking about serving for the right reasons today. We're going to be talking about doing things for others with a cheerful heart. Because really, that's where I think the heart of Jesus is. And that's the heart that he wants us to have when we're going about our lives. That we would have a heart of gratitude. And out of that gratitude flows serving other people. Doing something for someone else. Where our motive is in the right spot. We're in this red letter challenge, so if you've had a workbook, I know many of you, you got this workbook. We're in day 15, and day 15 is really good if you haven't read day 15 yet. It's all about grace, I'm telling you what. And, and I, I just think if people could see a church family like ours, if people could see you who follow Christ in the world, if they could see grace, a little more grace through you right now, it would be really helpful. If they could see some, some servanthood and a heart that wants to serve, that would really make a difference. You see, what we're trying to do in this Red Letter Challenge, it's not about some kind of magic bullet spirituality, and this is not some kind of gimmick. What we're trying to do is listen to his words and put them into practice. And we talked about in week one, right, that way back in the late 1800s, some of the, the printers who printed up copies of the Bible thought, well, wouldn't that be kind of cool if we printed the words of Jesus, the words that are ascribed to Jesus, the recordings of his teachings, what if we put those in red? Just to, just to kind of bring special attention to them. Not that the other words aren't important. They're all important. All scripture God breathed, and it's good for instruction. We know that, right? But the red letters kind of clue us in to Jesus. And what if we took the words of Jesus and actually put them into practice, right? What if we put them into practice? Like that parable said, it'd be like we built our house on solid foundation, that our life is built on solid foundation because we're listening to the teachings of Jesus and doing what it said. Last year, we, last year seems crazy, right? But last year, that was when we did it, we did a whole series called The Art of Neighboring. And if you remember that, the idea there was, what if when Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself, he literally meant your neighbor right next door or across the road. And that's what we, we did that for, for four weeks, just getting us into the idea that what if Jesus really meant what he said? And what if we put those into practice? I think there's two wonderful things that happen. When we put Jesus' words into practice, it's good for us. Because that's the way we're designed to be. That is the way to be human under the, the, the economy of Jesus. But here's another wonderful thing that happens. When you put the words of Jesus out in your life and you act on them, it means that we can change the whole narrative that our culture has about church and about Christians. Instead of being a bunch of people that are cranky and bigoted and homophobic and angry about everything and legalistic, what if they saw a people of grace and of mercy and of servanthood? Don't you think people would want to be all over that? Don't you think people would want to be part of that? So putting Jesus' words into action, not only is good for us, but it's good for our witness in the world. Because we want people attracted to Jesus, not some kind of a weird, watered-down version of, of, of religion. We want them to see Jesus. And in Jesus' time, 
the way he operated was with a lot of compassion and grace. Oh, we need grace right now. And forgiveness. And today, yes, one of the big priorities of Jesus was serving other people. And so that's what we're going to be leaning into today. So I'm glad you joined us today to do that. We're on day 15, by the way. So, hey, right, what the psychologists tell us, when we can get out of calendar and we can keep consecutive days and not break the chain, that's a great way not just to develop a spiritual habit, but there might be some habits you want to drop this year, some practices you want to drop. And you know, if you can get 21 days, 30 days on dropping it, it's amazing how that begins to rewire your brain. It begins to rewire all of those, those reward centers in your head when we don't break the chain. So I want to encourage you, even if you've broken a few, get back on it. Start marking those calendars. You can see the calendar in my office. The calendar in my office has all these days marked down. I like the old school printed version, but let's spend time with Jesus and put his words into practice. Let's pray. And then we'll get rolling. Father, we come before you. We thank you for your love for us, your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, so much that you can bring us together like this, both digitally and physically. Father, we know there's no barrier for you there, but, but that you, you've brought us together for this very purpose on this first day of the week, not only to celebrate your son Jesus, but to put his words into practice. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would move in all of us, challenge us, change us, put us in a place where we can serve others with a whole and grateful heart. So, Father, we lean into your word today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I'm Pastor Ben. Glad you're here with us. If this is your first time, man, it's wonderful that you're here with us. We want to welcome you. Love to, to pray with you and, and welcome you into the, the church family. But it's great to spend time looking at Jesus' words and putting them into practice. Today, all about serving. Well, in the scriptures, there's one thing that we, we get very clear from cover to cover. In fact, there's a scripture that a lot of people have memorized, even people that aren't really even part of church. John 3.16. You've probably seen it everywhere. It's on placards and billboards. Back when they used to do these things called sporting events where everybody got in stadiums, sometimes people would raise them. We'll get to that at some point, I hope, in the future. But John 3.16, what does it say? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever would believe him and not perish but have eternal life. What does that tell us? God so loved. And the scripture says we love because he first loved us. And I would like to add to that. We serve because he first served us. In fact, we know from scripture that he paid the ultimate sacrifice of service by dying for all of our sins, past, present, and future. He died on that cross to save us. That's the ultimate act of a humble servant. Going to that for us, that is off the table now. When he sees us, he sees Jesus. If you're in Christ, he sees a new creation. That is a beautiful thing. But he ultimately showed us the way of servanthood. We serve because he first served us. And my favorite example, by far, in Scripture, my favorite example of serving is found in John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible or a device, you could find John chapter 13 in the Scriptures. Now let me give you a little background here. Jesus is toward the end of His career. He's toward the end of His ministry time with His disciples, and so He's having some final moments with them. And a lot of times those had to do with meals. Isn't it great that our, our, our God loves meals? In fact, we're told that new heavens and new earth is going to involve a lot of feasting. I love that. In fact, that you walk around with Jesus a little bit, you're going to have some good food. Sometimes he'll even create it for you. That's pretty cool. But they're having a meal. 
toward the end of his ministry, and he, you know, they're having conversations. Jesus is really trying to prepare them a little bit for what's ahead. And then we get to John 13, and to me, one of the grossest stories in the Bible. Now, you may know John 13. It happens to involve a whole bunch, get this, two dozen smelly feats. And he's going to do this during a meal. You ever had that moment where you've been eating a meal, maybe it's a restaurant or you're at your house, and somebody brings up a gross subject while you're having the meal? Not a helpful thing. You know, someone has to call it and say, we're not talking about that right now. You know, I have some medical professionals in my family, and sometimes I have to put the squelcher on that. We're not talking about, you know, medical stuff right now. I'm enjoying my steak. Thank you. During a meal, Jesus does something pretty humbling, but also very servanthood-like. And he will ask his disciples to adopt that sort of way. So in John 13, we see Jesus getting on his... Well, let me just read a little bit of it. How about that? John 13, starting with verse verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, meal still going on. Important fact there. Rose from supper. He laid, a, uh, laid aside his outer garments and taking the towel, so he was going to get some work done here. You know, he was going to take off, he's kind of like rolling up your sleeves a little bit, right? So he takes off the outer garment, he's going to do some work here. <laughs> yes, he is. Tied that around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and, and wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. My question is, was that a white towel? You ever wash your feet when they're dirty? You know, it's kind of... It's during the supper. And he's washing their feet. Now, I'm sure you can think about how those feet must have looked. Maybe right now you're thinking what they might have smelled like and you're wondering how did that go with the meal? If they're having lamb and stinky feet right now, not what you'd want for a great supper opportunity. Probably the disciples were leaning toward each other and saying, good thing we didn't invite you know, our friends to this meal tonight. So he's washing feet. And if you know the story a little bit, Jesus is doing this very humble act. And sure, I mean, he's, I don't know how dirty these feet get, but I'm wondering if he's like having to grind it out. You know what I mean? He's, he's, getting, he's getting the toe jam. He's getting in there. You know, I don't know. He might even have some toe clippers. I don't, I'm making this up, but it's not there. But he gets to one of our favorite disciples. Who's our favorite disciple? Come on. Peter. It's got to be Peter. What's he always doing? He's always launching those words out, and there's no getting them back, is it? He's just launching them out there. He's always pretty upfront. He's, he's my kind of guy. And uh, Jesus gets to Peter, and, and Peter does what? If you remember the story, he tries to do what to, to, to the whole deal? Doesn't, doesn't want him to do it. He didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. You know, maybe he's feeling, you know, exposed or humbled or I don't know what, but he's like, you're not washing my feet. I wonder how many disciples he went through before he got to Peter. Are they all looking at Peter like, okay. But so they get to Peter, and he doesn't want Jesus to do that. And Jesus says, look, 
unless I wash you, and, and Jesus is not just talking about feet here. You get that, right? He's, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Obviously, he's talking about what he's going to do at the cross in just a few days. But he said, unless I wash you, unless, Peter, I take care of things for you, you got no part in this whole kingdom thing. And then so then Peter takes the other opposite reaction. Again, a very Peter move. He's like, well, then just dump the whole basin on me and do the whole thing. I want a full meal deal. And Jesus says, no, you don't need that, Peter. You're, you're, thanks for the uh, confidence there, but you don't need that. I'm, you've already bathed today, but I'm washing your feet to show you something, Peter. Giving him this great metaphor, something that these guys, I would imagine, will, would never have forgotten. You know, can't you just picture them down the road? Maybe give them 10 years, 15 years, and they're sitting around having a meal. You know, I bet they talked about this moment. Do you remember when Jesus got on his knees and washed your ugly, dirty feet, Peter? And Peter's like, yeah. Had I known, I would have pre-washed, you know what I mean? It's like some of you pre-wash the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. What's the point of a dishwasher? That's all I'm saying. Wash their feet in a great act of humility. I think it's one of the grossest stories in the Bible. Because after he gets done, he rejoins the meal. You know what I mean? For me, the meal would have been ruined at that point. You know what I mean? I don't, I'm not going to jump up on there and let's do this. Your hands are ready. You see what I'm saying? I think the grossest, one of the grossest. But it's also the coolest story. Because you have Jesus, the King of Kings. He spun the universe into being. He devised how to make a human eyeball. And he's on his knees washing your dirty feet. Now, that's, let that sit for a bit. Right? We put ourselves in that story. He's going to wash our feet. That's just beyond what I can understand. But he shows us something so powerful. Even in that ooh moment, he shows us that serving is part of the way of Jesus. Serving means we serve even if it's not comfortable, even if it means we have to be humble, and it might involve something smelly. I don't know. Maybe I'm pushing the metaphor too far, but the point is, we serve because he first served us, and he showed us in a very humble way in John 13 how that plays out. Now, I don't know what the modern version of washing your feet is now. I don't know what that be. I mean, if you think about it, okay, what is something that God might call you to do this week that would be kind of in that same vein? Like, what would be in the vein of washing feet now? Would that be, I don't know, washing a neighbor's car? Although that can be dicey because you want to get their permission first, right? Is that doing something, you know, mowing a lawn for somebody. Right now it's winter. But I mean, what is that that God might call you to that might require a little humility, you know, maybe a little humility, but, but something that would be a game changer for someone. Someone that could bless their socks off, literally, but do something that's in that vein because that is the life. If you say you're a Christ follower, we're called to serve, not to be a grumbly servant or a passive-aggressive servant, but to say, out of the gratitude of what God has done for me, I'm, I'm going to serve you. I wonder, this is, this is a gut check here for some of us. Because some of us, we know that we run into those moments where we serve somebody, but our heart is not really in the right spot. And so maybe that's for you this week. You need to ask the Lord, hey, Lord, would you help me stop that attitude stuff? Help me to operate out of a place of gratitude. You know, there is nothing more for you or for me, that's more fulfilling than serving someone else. 
That is the pinnacle. Serving someone else is more powerful than almost anything else we do. Do you know that Jesus even said that? We've been talking about the red letter challenge, right? Well, there's some red letters that a lot of people don't realize that come outside of the four Gospels. If you, if you have a Bible handy, Acts 20, most people forget this little one, but it's a powerful one. Paul, the Apostle Paul, early follower of Jesus, leader in the church, uh, he says, kind of in passing, this quote from Jesus in, in chapter 20 of, of Acts, verse 35, it said, it's more blessed to give than receive. He said it. Talk about red letters. There is something about serving. Have you guys ever heard of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs? If, if you've, you may have taken a class in school, maybe in college, some of you that, that, are, that are in teaching modes, that's a, a, one of the classes you have to take. Even if you haven't taken it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, this is like many decades old now. This is probably in the 50s or 60s this came out. But this researcher found that, you know, in, in the scheme of human need and meeting human needs, there's like this pyramid. And this pyramid at the very bottom kind of are the basic needs. You know, like food and water, you know, sleep, a place. To, you know, those are the basic needs. But as you move up the pyramid, then you get to other things like uh, fulfillment, or, or achievement. You know, more of those, I guess, more cerebral sort of things, the, the things that are like fulfillment in your life. So once you get past those basic needs, then you move toward things that are, that are like uh, serving and, and do all those different things, kind of the higher level. Well, originally, the top of the pyramid, like this is the top of all human need, originally, the top of the pyramid was self-actualization. Now, that's a weird term. What does that mean? Self-actualization means you've accomplished all of your dreams. You've gotten your level of success. That used to be the top. But now, several decades later, they found that a new top of the pyramid has emerged, and it's called transcendency. You ever heard that? And transcendency, what that means is, actually, the top, the pinnacle of human need, is when you can help someone else achieve their dreams. That they actually think that supersedes getting everything you want. Now, we could have told them that. I mean, it was in the Bible. That we serve one another. The scriptures had it right all the time. All along, we could have just looked at that rather than looking at this pyramid. Actually, when you put someone else's needs above your own, that's the top. That's like, that's that trumps everything that you want to accomplish because now you've seen it in someone else. Now, you may be thinking, I don't know about that, Ben. Look, if you're a parent or grandparent, you've already seen it. Because when your kids or grandkids start living out their life, and maybe, maybe as a parent or grandparent, you've overheard your kids say a phrase that you've, you've said. That's transparency. That's transcendency. You've transcended now that hierarchy because you've seen now it play out in another generation. You put someone else's needs above your own, and now they're, they're accomplishing great things because you've been able to pour into them. That's what they're talking about, and we've known that all along. Here's the key idea. Nothing, nothing fulfills us more than serving others, period. It's science and it's scripture. Nothing fulfills us more. Nothing will do it. Jesus came with a servant's heart, and he's asking us, hey, you're going to be my follower, that's going to involve a big priority that I have, which is serving. 
one another. Now, the one another's in Scripture, that's a pretty big group of statements. Forty plus one another show up in Scripture. Love one another. Serve one another. Put someone else's needs above your own. This is the way that Jesus says to be human. This is the new humanity available in Jesus. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can put someone else's needs above your own. And what happens then is you see the beauty of the fulfillment. Because nothing fulfills us more than serving others. In fact, Paul reminds us in Romans 12, hey, don't get lazy in doing this, serving one another and, and, and putting someone else's needs above your own because when you do that with zeal and fervency, you're so fulfilled. This is fulfilling the law of Christ. Putting someone else's needs. Well, here's the problem. So you hear all that and maybe you're, you're thinking, maybe, okay, Ben, that, that sounds really good. Serving, okay, I get it. Uh, serving is a thing I should do more of. It's, you know, it's another thing to add to my list. You might be, you might be thinking that. And I think part of the reason is we have gotten conditioned in our modern culture to not do this a whole lot. We almost add it as a side thing, but really we want our needs met. What's happened, and this, this, this has hit the church a little bit too, we've got this consumer mentality. Well, why not? The customer is always right. We've been conditioned every holiday season. I'm just amazed at what is being put in front of us. You need to buy this thing, this device. I just got a phone last year, but it's not good, so I need to get another one this year. We are constantly bombarded with everything because you can't be fulfilled. You can't be this. You can't be that. The commercial that drives me the most bonkers is the young, pretty couple that gift each other brand new vehicles for Christmas. That drives me crazy. And here's the thing. Jackie will try to shut the TV off before I go into a 10-minute tirade about how dumb that is. Now, I'm not saying if you got a new vehicle for Christmas, good on you, okay? It just seems ridiculous. It's like, hey, honey, I love you so much. Here's a car payment. Why would you do that? The point is, I digress. The point is, we have been conditioned to this consumer, consumer, consumer. T- giving? Eh, if I have to. Serving? Eh, it's convenient. But I really want my needs met. This happens in the church, too. I see people church shopping all the time. And, and, and look, I get it. Sometimes it's hard to find a church that kind of fits all those you know, categories for you. But look, we're treating Jesus almost as some kind of consumerist thing. I'm only going to follow him if it like, meets my needs. We've gotten all this backward that ultimately following Jesus is not a consumer thing. It's a giving thing. It's a serving thing. We got that backwards. Somehow it's infiltrated the church. And, and it's even hit even like church leadership. Because sometimes it seems like the expectation for some people when they go into a church is like, well, the pastor guy or their leadership, they're the ones that you know, really need to do all the work and we'll just kind of sit back and criticize them for a while. Actually, here's the deal. When you say yes to Jesus, you just put on the suit and you got to get in the game. Following Jesus is an all-in, all-skate. We all in. So when you say yes to Jesus, you're saying yes to a life that you serve, you have gratitude, you show grace to people, you forgive people. This is a supernatural new way to be human. When you say yes to Jesus, you get to get in the game. You don't just suit up. It's not just me that suits up and everybody's like, oh, Ben, you should have ran that a little harder that time. And, oh, you know, my giving's going to have to go down a little bit because you didn't say the right thing. Look, when you say yes to Jesus, it's an all-skate. And my job then as a leader 
is to help equip you and get you resourced and encourage you and challenge you and remind you so that we can all be about what God's called us to do. We are called to servanthood and to do it with a heart of gratitude, not begrudgingly. And Paul says, hey, be zealous. If you're going to be zealous for anything, if you're going to be really sold out and excited for anything, do it because you're serving someone. And in doing that, we act just like Jesus. And what do we say? Wouldn't it be great if all of us in the church family and Christ followers acted a little bit more like Jesus? Because when that happens, it changes the narrative of what people see of Christians in the church. Because we care. We're serving. We're, we're acting like Jesus. Here's the reality check. There is more fulfillment in contribution than consumption. And we got to see that. It's true in science. We just talked about that. Maslow's hierarchy of needs. It's true in science. It's true in scripture. And it's true of who we see Jesus. So when we want to have people see Jesus through us, we operate like he does. We put his words into practice. Look, God's plan includes us. We are part of his plan, his hands and feet. In fact, the scriptures tell us that we're a few other things. The scriptures say you're salt and you're light. Let me read a couple passages for you. Just in case you need a little more encouragement that this is our, our role in our world is to show Jesus to people. We do that in these ways. Listen to 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who calls you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We proclaim his excellencies. We are like billboards about Jesus. When we show kindness, when we could cut someone off, when we show compassion, when we're generous, we are showing his excellencies to the world. And I just believe that when people see more of that, they're going to be drawn to that. Don't you think so? Don't you feel like people will be drawn to people of grace? and to people who show mercy, and people who serve without any, without any strings attached. Think of how many things have strings attached. What if you served without any strings attached? I'm just loving on you because Jesus did that for me. This would change the narrative. Listen to what Matthew 5 says. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, kind of the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. But listen how it rolls off. And, 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 and Jesus is going to call his followers two very important things. Here's the first one. In, in, in Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What does salt do? Like when you put salt on something, doesn't it make it pop? That ah, tastes way better. This needs more salt. Although my doctor would say, Ben, you need less salt. But I don't listen to him. Anyway... Salt brings, it pops, makes things pop. Not only that, but salt for years and years and years was used as a preservative. You'd salt things to preserve it. Salt brings life to things. It can purify stuff. Salt does that. And, and if we're going to be that salt in the world, we're going to make Jesus' teachings pop. We're going to bring flavor to the world. Isn't that cool? That we as salt bring flavor. That means we should be the most creative, fun, feasting people ever. No? Yes. We should have some fun. This should be fun. People should see that in us. We're salt. We're going to make things pop. And then he tells us that we're also light. What does light do? Can you even see color if there's no light? 
You ever notice that? When it starts to get dark, you'll start to see colors fade. Why is that? Well, you, to see color, you got to have light. In fact, light brings everything. Light makes things pop. When you have light, you have color. You have the whole spectrum of color. We, as Christ followers, we get, when we put his words into practice, we're like bringing light to a dark place, and guess what pops out? Color. Vibrancy. In fact, light also, I think, is pretty important for green plants. I'm no botanist or anything, but I think light is important for life itself. Like, we bring light to the world. We bring life, and we bring color. Jesus has asked us to be salt and light, and we do that by putting his words into action, and that includes serving out of a, out of a healthy, great, grateful heart. So I want to encourage you to do that. In fact, that's my only walk away today is just commit to serve. Commit to serve. Serve people in your neighborhood. Serve people. We have places to do that in our church family. I'll talk about that in a minute. But I want you to be committed to, to a serving lifestyle, that you would put someone else's needs above your own. I mean, just imagine if we did that. Like if that was the push for 2021, the Dallas church, people that call our church family home, if our whole aim this year was to have a servant's heart, can you imagine what that might do to our families, our marriages, people at work? What if we could be the serving community? That we would be servers, not consumers. We don't need another thing. We, we, we want to serve a need. What if that were the reputation that we had in the world. I think that would be huge. We point people to Jesus, who was the ultimate servant. And we do that by serving, being salt and light. Commit to, to, commit to serve somewhere. Raise a hand. And that could be a number of things. Many of you already serve in our church family, which is a, a great place to serve. I mean, we have behind-the-scenes jobs, and we have jobs up front. I mean, obviously, many of you would never want this job. I understand that. It kind of is scary some Sundays, but... We have lots of places for you to plug in. In fact, if you have our Church Center app, you'll see the top button, I think, is even plugging in to serve. You're basically raising a hand saying, I can help somewhere. Behind the scenes, that could include making the property pretty. We could use some help there. That's kind of fun. I like working with power tools. So we have behind the scenes areas to serve. And that could be even in our audio video department. You have all these brains over here. Do you know that when they fire that stuff up now, the power grid in Dallas goes down just a bit, and then it has to... So we have behind-the-scenes work that can happen. And that could be even security. Some of us even are watching the doors and making sure it's secure in here so that one day when we are all back to being more in person, we want to protect our kids. Anybody that comes and brings new kids here, we want to make sure that moms know that we care about their kids and they're safe. And so there's a whole security team you can be part of. That's all behind-the-scenes stuff that you can jump into. Raise a hand, say, I'll do that. Maybe you want to be an online host. You know what that is? That seems kind of weird, but we're online now. You know that God isn't really put off by digital. It didn't really surprise God. Did you know that? He's okay with being on the computer. God can do anything, anywhere, and digital is not going to stop him. But we, we like to have some people online, when people are on, like on Facebook or church online, and, and we can interact with them. Hey, how are you doing? How can I pray for you? Hey, that, what Pastor Ben just said, hey, what about, what's your next step? They're online hosts. These are all things you can actually do. Now, if you're someone that happens to have uh, skills in music and that sort of thing, in arts, we have places for you to play too. But whether it's behind the scenes or up front, whatever it might be, we have places for you to serve. And I want you to be a servant, whether that be just in our church, but also in your community. 
How can, how can God use you? How can God leverage you to be a servant in your world this week? That's the real takeaway today. Commit to being a servant. That's what Jesus did. And if we put his words into practice, remember, when Jesus was washing the feet, do you know how that whole story ends in John 7, or 13? He looks around at his disciples and says, you see what I just did for you? I want you to do that for other people. And I think they understood he meant way more than just washing feet. He meant to commit to a life of serving other people. And if truth be told, they did a, they did a pretty good job of that. In fact, we're in this room because they took that to heart. And they gave us the scriptures. and they, Oh, so much they did. Commit to serve. I want to pray for us here in a moment. But if you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, today could be your day. I know that many of us in this room have said yes to Jesus, and that's awesome. But if you never have, you can take a next step today. We'd love to help you do that, help you take a next step of faith. Maybe some of you haven't been baptized yet. We're actually going to be doing some baptisms coming up. If you've never done that either, say yes. Let us know. Go to the Connections booth. Tell somebody today before you go, I've got a next step to take. So we want to pray with you on that. But let's commit, each of us now, online and in person, to be a person who serves, just like our Savior Jesus did. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and faithfulness to us. Your mercies are new every morning. Father, thank you for your Son, Jesus, who served us, paid the ultimate sacrifice to take care of our sin, and then rose from the dead and offered that kind of life to us now, that in Christ, your Son, Father, we get to be hands and feet, salt and light in our world, and a big part of that is serving other people. So, Father, help us to, to live out and remember that nothing fulfills us more than serving others, Father. And that's what you, 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 you modeled for us in your son, Jesus. So, Lord, empower us to serve this week, and may we give you all the glory as we do it. In Jesus' name, amen.